you know, everyone said you need to build an audience before you can sell anything to them. And I spent years just building an audience. And I do things like all I had was a simple landing page that said, I want to teach design for developers. Sign up to find out more. Hey, hey, it's the Productize Podcast. My name is Brian Castle. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. Today, I'm talking to Laura Elizabeth. She is the creator of Client Portal, as well as the Design Academy, a couple of courses and curriculum in there for developers who want to learn how to design. And then, of course, Client Portal is a, it's a piece of software. It's, a, it's actually a WordPress plugin for you know, giving your clients a portal to, uh, to access their design files or whatever else that you're delivering as a freelancer. Uh, because that was uh, Laura's background. She comes from the background of a freelancer and she has successfully transitioned from the, doing the freelance thing into doing digital products. And so we talked all about how to go from having you know zero audience into raising your profile and speaking at conferences and growing an email list, which can then allow you to, not allow you to, but enable you to actually launch products and get real feedback and even pre-sell digital products the way that she has. So lots of good information here, really great story. Here you go, here's my conversation with Laura Elizabeth, enjoy. All right, I'm here with Laura Elizabeth. Laura, how's it going? Pretty good, how are you? Doing good, yeah, great to have you on the show. Um, I've seen you around the internet for the last couple of years, doing some interesting things for freelancers, for designers, for agencies. Um, why don't you kind of introduce all the different things that you're working on these days? Yeah, so I do a few different things, um, kind of accidentally. I think I initially I wanted to just do one thing, but it's kind of morphed into a few. So I, um, the first thing that I do is I have a WordPress plugin for freelancers and agencies called Client Portal. And that basically gives you a sort of a dashboard to keep all your client deliverables um, in one place. And that was a kind of scratch your own itch type project. So I've been doing that for, um, it must be going on almost two years now. And then my second thing that I do is I have a design course for developers. Um, so I run a blog called Design Academy in about February this year. I actually know it was it was actually April it was 25th of April which is my birthday I launched my first course which was called design fundamentals where I basically teach developers the principles of design in a you know really non-pretentious kind of way so um yeah they're my two things online course and a, and a plugin yeah very cool I I love the uh the headline on your uh designacademy.io design principles for developers taught in a non-pretentious non-bullshitty way <laughs> yep <laughs> it's pretty accurate yeah exactly yeah I had a lot of struggles when I was learning design with the whole and um, I went to you know design school I went to college to study design I went to university I worked in a design agency so I've had a lot of experience with the pretentious design world not always pretentious but often pretentious <laughs> yeah you know I mean design in general like I've, I I didn't go to design school but I've I veered more on the design side of, of my work over the last, I don't know, 10, 12 years or so. And, and like, I've always had this feeling like I am not a real designer. I still feel that way today. And like, there are real designers and they have some magical power and they and they, they have some like magic sauce that they probably learned in design school that we can never learn ourselves, you know? Yeah. I don't know if that's like, uh, I, I just feel like that's a common outlook on it for a lot of people. But these are like building stuff on the web, like everybody needs some level of design chops to be able to build anything. 
Yeah, exactly. And to be honest, I I feel exactly the same as you. I don't feel like I'm I don't feel like I'm a proper designer, even though I did the design school and everything. You know, people people say to me all the time, you know, wave your magic wand or do your magic design of voodoo, and I'm and I'm kind of like, oh, it doesn't really feel like voodoo <laughs> or anything. It, I I kind of feel like I'm just you know, a lot of the time I'm just sort of taking existing content and design patterns and repurposing them for my own stuff and just figuring out what works. And sometimes I'm wrong and sometimes I'm right. And then, you know, over the years, I've kind of accumulated a lot of experience and I basically get to what's right a little bit faster than I used to. But I don't feel like I'm, you know, anything special in terms of design. But that works really well for me because it means I can relate to people who also feel the same and also have these struggles and actually teach them the process that I use to learn design. So it's, it's kind of worked out pretty well for me. I'm kind of glad I don't see myself as that um, kind of designer. And to be honest, I wouldn't, I, I always wonder if a lot of other designers feel the same, like they don't feel like they are worthy of this. Yeah. You know, wave your magic wand. What you do is magic. How do you do it? Cause at the end of the day, it's, it's just a lot of, um, trial and error, basically. Yeah, and I think it's the the perfectionist in us. I mean, like a project is never really finished. There's always tweaks. There's always improvements. You know, you want to make. So yeah. So just to like what I usually like to do here is uh, first get a picture of what things look like today, and then we'll jump back into the story. But um, so just so that I'm clear, you've got client portal, you've got design academy course. Are you like kind of like full time on these things? Or are you also doing like consulting work or what else? are you doing? Yeah, so I'm full time on those two things. So I quit consulting back in January, I think this year. Um, Because I I did, I used to do them, you know, Client Portal was a side project. And so was Design Academy. Um, And then I sort of decided to just that was what I was really enjoying. So I just decided to go all in on that. And um, yeah, I don't do consulting work anymore. I did do it for about seven years, though. So I've, I've been a freelancer for the last seven years, full time on products, just 2018. Yeah, very cool. And are you working with any other people like like on your team or freelancers or anyone? So it's kind of it's pretty much just me, but I do have a I have a developer who I work with on client portal and I have a VA as well. Um, neither of them are full time for me though, but they the developer's been with me from the very beginning of client portal. She did the very first version when I translated it from it, it basically used to be just a really simple HTML page that I made myself. Um, and then I hired her and used her to make it into a WordPress plugin. And she's kind of been on it ever since. So I kind of feel like she's like, they're definitely a part of the team, but yeah, they don't work just for me. Very cool. And then like, what, how does the pricing model on both of these products basically work? So I guess starting with the course, is it like a pretty typical, like one-time fee, you get access to everything or is it like a membership? How is that structured? So the course is pretty simple. It's at the minute it's a one-time fee. There's actually only one package that you can buy, which is something that I am looking to change pretty soon. I, I want to have at least two packages to choose from, you know, a higher tier and a lower tier. At the minute it's just a flat fee and you get everything. So that's that's how that one works. And then client portal, the pricing has actually very recently changed. So up until about a month or so ago, it was again a one-time fee. It was just easier logistically and you know, it kind of it was a bit easier to sell when it's just a one-time fee. And that's a WordPress plugin, right? Exactly. Yeah, Client Portal is the WordPress plugin. So that was a one-time fee until about a month ago. Now it's a you've got an upfront fee and then we have yearly updates for support and continual product updates. Right. That seems to be like the more common 
model for WordPress plugins is like an annual license. Yeah, people have been telling me that I I should have done this a long time ago. And it's it's only it's only recently I've really sort of understood why because you know, I, I offered lifetime support and updates and I thought that would be fine. It's not an issue. And to be honest, I don't get a crazy amount of support requests because the developers done a fantastic job in making it really easy to use, but it's always being updated. So there's always tweaks, especially with a WordPress plugin, you know, you get a lot of conflicts and stuff. There's, there's a lot more support because, you know, you're dealing with people who have these who have different themes and different plugins on their website and sometimes they don't play nice together and you've got to kind of figure that out. But also there's little things like there's UX tweaks that I'm always doing, there's design tweaks that I'm always doing, and there's new features. And, you know, Client Portal started as a really simple concept uh, and it still is a really simple concept and I, I love the simplicity, but it's really amazing how far you can actually take a very simple concept. And I'm just starting to realize that, which is why I've brought in this yearly uh, feet, which I think is, I probably should have done a little bit sooner, to be honest. Yeah. So, I mean, we talked a bit about what the design course is all about and who it's for, but so Client Portal is, how would you describe, I mean, I'm, the name kind of is self-explanatory, but how, how like what, what's kind of like the key benefit or the key use case for using Client Portal? Yeah. So it was something that I initially made for myself. So I had the problem where I I tried tools like Basecamp and such for to use with my clients and it, they were great tools, but I found them to be a little bit too complex for what I was doing. And worse, I found my clients weren't using them because I was just, you know, it was just me. And I just had maybe one client. Maybe they had a, a few people I was dealing with, but it was pretty much just almost one on one projects. And, you know, they weren't using it. I was paying for it. And I found that I had to keep updating Basecamp with what I was hoping they would put into Basecamp. So it became sort of extra work. But without having Basecamp or something there, you know, things were always getting lost in emails. So, you know, I would finish a project and then six months later, someone would come back to me and say, hey, Laura, remember that logo you did for us? I've lost the files again. Can you resend them to me? And I'd be like, yeah, I guess. But come on, keep hold of these files. (laughs) So I kind of thought I wanted something to meet in the middle there. So I created just a really simple page that was hidden behind a login wall. So when a client gets a project, I set them up with this portal and I just keep everything that I use in there. So I keep invoices in there. I keep deliverables in there. I keep any anything that I use with clients in there. And what they can do is they can log in, um, not to toot my own horn, but I think it's pretty nicely designed. So they get this really nice dashboard. It's completely branded to them and their project, um, but just by changing a few colors and a logo, basically. And they get to see the status of the project. So we have things like, you know, you can um, you can mark certain items as complete. You can have ones that are inactive. So they can see the whole project in front of them just in one screen. And they can see what's being worked on right now, what's coming up in the future and what's already been done and access that. And they can keep that for as long as they want, basically. So that's that's basically what Client Portal is. And like I said, I initially made it for myself. Um, A lot of people, when I, I spoke about it, Uh, I spoke at a conference about remote working and I briefly mentioned it with a screenshot um, and I got a ton of people saying that they that this is a solution they would really love. So um, that's basically when I put it up for sale that couple of And, you know, I feel like this sort of thing really works well as a WordPress plugin specifically and like not a SaaS or not an ongoing thing, but especially for designers and, and agencies who are giving like deliverables files to clients because it, if you're an agency or you're a freelancer for years and years, you're just going to, you know, stack up lots and lots of clients and deliverables and 
to kind of subscribe to a cloud service like th- this makes sense because it's installed on your own WordPress site and you can kind of like invite your clients into it there. Yeah, exactly. You have complete control over, you know, what kind of things you store. Um, you can store the files on your own WordPress website or you can store them elsewhere and link to them from client portal if you're worried about, you know, overloading your website. But yeah, I've had I've had a lot of people say, you know, you should make this into a SaaS and it's just it's not something I've ever I mean, I've maybe briefly considered it for like half an hour or something, but it's just not when I've really thought about it. I've thought now I think this needs to be something that people can actually own and not something that's hosted elsewhere. And, you know, I don't want to be on the hook for all these hosting costs and storing all this stuff and everything. And there's just there's there's a lot of overhead in SaaS that um, makes it not worth it for a lot of products. So, yeah, I'm happy keeping it as a WordPress plugin. Yeah. And and as a as a first product or one of your, you know, for anybody who, who, especially bootstrappers starting out, I mean, it's always amazing to me how if you're selling a one-time fee, even if it's like an annual license, it's a much easier sell. Sometimes like a $500 one-time fee is, is easier to sell than a $50 monthly subscription. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Monthly, I think monthly would be a really hard sell, I think, because, you know, a lot of people as well are getting myself included, are getting a little bit frustrated with how many monthly costs they have for different pieces of software. You know, it it really does add up. You know, my I, I use Drip and I can't remember. I actually can't remember how much I pay now because my subscriber base is growing. I'm actually paying quite a lot just for that for one tool. It's completely worth it. I'm not going to get rid of it. But it kind of means I have to be more careful about what kind of things I subscribe to, you know. So the completely The less necessary ones, the ones that aren't tied to, you know, me legitimately making more money are the ones that are going to go. And, you know, I see that in myself and I see that in other people just getting frustrated with these monthly costs and really needing to keep it down because, you know, it seems like everything's monthly at the minute. So I think a small annual fee for updates and support is pretty good, especially considering you can keep the plugin and continue to use it after even if you don't want the updates and support you're basically that's all you're paying for but either way you own the plugin yeah you know i'm going to go a little bit out of order from what i usually do we'll we'll jump back into the story because i know that a lot there are a ton of people who would love to make that jump from i'm doing freelance work to having my own products but it's still like staying in the in the current like we're talking about you know one-time products versus SaaS and everything and Obviously, the benefit with SaaS is that it's it's so scalable and it can grow month after month. But I'm just kind of curious about what what are your goals right now? Like, do you intend to kind of stay mostly solo and and doing this thing, or or do you intend to grow this out into a larger company? Because like the it seems like your current product line really makes sense. Like, it seems like a, a pretty good level. But I'm, I'm curious, like, where where do you see this heading? Yeah. So right now, I don't have any plans to grow a huge company. Um, I'm actually pretty happy just me and a few, you know, you know, a few people. Um, ideally, at some point, I think I'd like to have a couple of people who work full time for this, but I don't really want to grow it or scale it. I'd like to still be involved day to day. I really enjoy it. And I don't I don't really, to be honest, have that desire to manage a whole team and do you know, I, I know people who do SaaS and I know it can be amazing once you get it going, but the journey to get there is really rough. And to be honest, I just don't think I, it's just not something that I want to do. I'm, I'm pretty happy. I, I earn a pretty decent income from just these two products alone. And I know that I can keep expanding and keep supporting client portal and design academy actually has 
a bit more room to grow as well. Um, I'm sort of planning to have multiple courses for Design Academy. So I have this fundamentals one, which is the baseline one. But then I'm sort of going to branch off and do, you know, different tracks. So if developers want to learn more about um, web app design or something or UX, or they want to learn about how to do a SaaS website that converts really well, they can kind of branch off and buy these sort of add-ons to create their own uh, design course. That's got a lot of potential there. And even with that, I can, I've also been thinking about in the future, bringing people on as to create courses for design academy you know if someone's really good at content oh yeah you know create like a copywriting course for a SaaS website or something so I think I'm seeing that one is that's got a bit more potential to grow but I still don't I I just don't have the desire to become a humongous apple sized company (laughs) so yeah my goals are pretty goals are pretty small yeah cool so uh let's go back in the story uh you said you're from the UK originally is that right Yep, from the UK. Yep. And then I've been living in the US for um, about a year or so now, a couple of years. Very nice. So like, I guess growing up when you were younger, like you mentioned that you you did go to design school, but like, did you always see yourself getting into like becoming a freelance or, or like a professional designer? Um, a professional designer? Yes. I, I always thought I'd go the more traditional route of just having an agency job or something or work in some advertising agency or something like that. I don't know if I was ever really wild about the idea of having a nine to five. I really, when I did my agency work, I, I really resented the commute and I really resented having to work from somewhere that wasn't my home. Um, I didn't find it very comfortable or very, you know, sometimes I, I don't want to work in the middle of the day because I'm not particularly inspired, but I still had to sit there, you know, I was still chained to my desk. Yeah. So I never really liked that. But yeah, when I was in when I was in college and stuff, I didn't really I didn't even consider running my own business. It just I don't know why. It just never I guess the picture I had of a business owner was not me in the slightest and I didn't realize people like me could do it. And I think it's become a lot easier now. We you know, we've got the internet and stuff. I don't know how I'd have done this without the internet. Um to just start with a computer not needing any investment because, you know, I'm I think I'd be scared of getting investment and maybe you know, ruining it or something. I, I just kind of fell into the the freelance world. And a bit of background on how that happened is I was I was working for an agency and I felt like I was really bad at design. So I was being paid to design, but I was thinking I'm really not very good at this and I don't know how. College hasn't really prepared me with how to make something look good. What they prepared me for was how to think about ideas and how to solve problems, which are absolutely fantastic skills to have. I'm very grateful that we spent three years doing that. But they didn't teach me how to make those ideas look like they weren't done by some amateur kid. So I started, I went on Elance um, at the time. I don't know if it's called Elance. I think it's Upwork now. And I started just applying for little freelance projects just to basically give me experience just for practice yeah so I didn't feel I guess I kept thinking I was going to get fired because I, I was really I really think I was rubbish I don't know what my employees saw in me what what year was this uh what yeah I don't know it was it must have been about eight years ago now or something it's pretty similar to I I started out working for a web design agency full-time and my, my goal going into the agency was I was like an amateur like hack html front-end person and I told the person who hired me it was like I kind of want to become a professional at this. So I'll start as an intern and then and then grew from there. But and that was maybe 10 or 12 years ago, but I didn't even know that like freelancing was a thing until I was already working in the agency. I, I saw that they were hiring freelancers occasionally and I was like, oh, those people basically do what I do, but they're 
they only do it on like Tuesdays if they want to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the same exact same way it happened to me. I think we had a freelancer come in at university, but I just I didn't really clock what they did, to be honest. I didn't really get what a freelancer was and I didn't seem to care much. I, I thought the only route was agency, to be honest. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's interesting that you had the same experience. So when did you go? Wh- where did you go from there, from, from that agency? Yeah, so when I started doing these projects on Elance, um, they went really well and I got really good reviews and I started doing it more and more. And it got to the point where I was actually making the same amount from freelancing, from referrals and stuff that I was at my job. And I thought, well, you know, I can't really do both because it's burning me out a little bit. Um, I would much rather work from home. So I left the job at the agency and I started freelancing full time. And then, you know, I did that for the last seven years or so. Again, I didn't really realize there was another path on from freelancing until I started talking to other people who had done it. And I started going to conferences and people kept talking about products and how this thing called products was really cool. And I thought, oh, that looks fun. Because what I didn't like about freelancing is that I still felt like I was a bit chained to my desk. You know, clients Mm -hmm. really did expect me to be there from nine to five, Monday to Friday, or just on the other end of a phone call or email. And I, I still felt a little bit chained. I didn't have the kind of work-life balance that I wanted. Yeah, I mean, I, I was in that, that same boat. And it's like, even if as a freelancer, you can work from home, you could even work whatever hours you want to. If you're a solo freelancer, you still have client projects and they still have deadlines and you have to get them done at some point. Yeah. And I remember going on holiday or something or vacation and being really stressed because the client had a deadline and and that was the most important thing you know the client they paid me if I didn't meet the deadline or they didn't like it I didn't I didn't really have yeah I had contracts and stuff but at the same time the kind of projects I was working on weren't huge I I couldn't have if they just didn't pay me there wasn't really much I could do I don't think unless I wanted to spend all my money on legal costs Um, so I really did feel at the mercy of these um of the clients so I, I didn't enjoy that too much so I, I knew I wanted to get into products I didn't know what that was going to be what was like that first sense of what a that like products were even a possibility and what was like your first kind of uh, idea to, to try to you know take a crack at doing a product I think it started with productized consulting so I saw a lot of people like Jane Portman who does a lot of productized consulting and some other people I think who basically did they did consulting work for clients but they had you know they did it for a certain cost and it had certain deliverables and it it just looked a bit easier you know you deliver this project you don't have to go through all this hassle of doing these humongous proposals that may or may not get accepted and everything so bespoke and stuff like that and that really appealed to me because I liked the idea of being able to kind of not automate because I'd still be doing it but every project was a little bit more similar yeah more predictable yeah and I tried to I tried to get into that. I, to be honest, I failed massively. I could not crack productized consulting at all in web design. Um, every project just was different. You know, people needed different things and I couldn't figure out how to give someone. And the people who were contacting me didn't want to buy a product. They had something in mind that they wanted me to visualize. So that never worked out for me. But after getting into, you know, listening to people like Jane and then, you know, from that, I went conference and all this kind of stuff um, I ended up meeting a lot of people who sold courses and you know did stuff like that so I, I guess I kind of realized that instead of productized consulting maybe I could sell a course and maybe that's gonna solve all my problems and that's kind of where the design academy thing 
started. Very cool. Um, just so we have a sense of time, like what, what year was that that you came out with the first Design Academy? Um, so Design Academy has been in the works for probably as long as four years, maybe five, but I didn't have anything to sell. So I, the course came out April 25th and it's been in the works for years. But basically what I was doing in that time was, you know, everyone said you need to build an audience before you can sell anything to them. And fortunately for me, I took that advice on board and I'm very glad I did. And I spent years just building an audience. And I do things like all I had was a simple landing page that said, I want to teach design for developers, sign up to find out more. And I'd go to conferences and I'd speak at them and I'd do guest posts on other people's blog with a link to my landing page in my signature. And I'd I just kind of do this now and again, like at around my client work because I didn't have a ton of time. Um, but very slowly that kind of built up a built up a list. And, you know, it probably took like a year to get my first thousand subscribers. You know, I really want to focus on that for a minute because there are so many people who just have no audience. Like, most of us, if you're freelancing, you, you probably have some sort of network, like a professional network, but an actual email list of a few hundred or even more than a thousand people to go from zero to that, that's a huge jump for so many people. So I'm curious, like you mentioned that you're going to conferences, which number one, I think that's that's a huge step that most people don't take. Like get out of the building and start talking to people, right? Yeah. But you said you were you were speaking at conferences. Like how do you even go about becoming a speaker and, and starting to raise your profile? Yeah, it's a really good question. And to be honest, my story, I think I was a little bit lucky, but there is still a lesson to be learned, I suppose. So I I always knew that writing was really important because, again, this is just advice that I just kept hearing over and over again. You need to learn how to write. Writing is just the most vital skill you could possibly have. So I wanted to get better at writing. So I started writing articles just for my own blog, even though I had no audience, no one to share it with. And but but I would share it with whatever communities I was a part of. So, for example, I was part of a freelancing Slack community and, you know, I'd write an article on something, maybe dashboard design or something random. And I'd post it in there and say, hey, guys, what do you think about my writing? Does it sound good? Am I a good writer? And someone uh, called Lauren Holiday contacted me and said, hey, I saw that article and I really like your writing style. I work for a blog called SitePoint would you like to do a guest post for us? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. So I, I did a couple of guest posts for them. I spent so much time. I spent evenings, weekends. I really stressed over this guest post because to me it was like the most important thing and it was going to change my life completely. Um, and in a way it did. I'm glad I spent a lot of time on it, but it's crazy looking back thinking just how much I poured over these posts. Yeah, I mean, like guest article writing, it was for me too a, a huge it was definitely the first thing that I did consistently that that took me from that zero audience to a couple thousand. And I don't I don't really know if guest article writing is as useful or, or as effective as it is today in 2018 as it was. Like I was doing it around 2012, 2013 a lot. Yeah. You know, articles on like Mashable, Smashing Magazine, and like you know, and you start to build up to these like smaller blogs into. Okay, you've written on on a smaller blog, then you get noticed by larger blogs, and you can and you can do that. Um, that was huge. And and I mean, I guess even today, if you're starting from zero, it's still worth doing. Yeah, I would absolutely do it. Yeah. So you were doing that, like, and and that helped to to kind of raise your profile a bit? Yeah, exactly. So the, so the guest posting was really good. Um, like you say, I, I don't know how effective it is, but I still do think it's effective. Um, especially if you can write for something like Smashing Magazine. Um, so I've actually done, I've spoken at Smashing conferences as well and written on their 
blog and they've tweeted about me, you know, all this kind of stuff. So even just getting a guest post on one of these blogs might lead to something bigger um, because they have other things going on. Yeah, I remember Smashing Mag in, in particular, like I was doing like that whole route of like design and freelancing and business blogs. And most of them was like, okay, I wrote a draft, a couple hours, submit it. And they publish it sometime in the next few months. And Smashing Magazine was like the one they went back to me with revisions for like an eight month period. It was just an insane editing process. And I'm working for free here. Like it's, it was, it was so many hours. And I'm like, I just remember like six months into that process. I'm like, I know that it's Smashing Magazine. I know they have a huge audience, but man, this is, is this even worth it anymore? (laughs) You know? Yeah, I can imagine. But I mean, they they finally published it and it was like, it was, it was a big lift to the email list, you know? Yeah. Smashing Magazine was huge for me too. I think um, the article I wrote, I was going to publish it on my own blog. I'd already written it, but I was pretty proud of it. It was an article on color and how to choose color and color palettes. And I thought, you know what, this is actually really good. (laughs) So I'm just going to try and submit it to Smashing Magazine and see what happens. They have a guest, guest post submissions thing. Um, so I sent it to them and I was like, if they don't, I've already written it. I'll put it on my blog anyway, but you never know. And they got back to me saying they really liked it and they were going to publish it. And you're right. There was revisions and stuff, but it ultimately made the post a lot better. Um, and I'm happy that they keep the quality high because I think that's why they have such a strong readership. But when that published, I remember I woke up and my Twitter was going crazy and I was like, oh my gosh, what's happened? And the article was, was really well received. I got a ton of subscribers. I got a lot of recognition. And the article, I think, for, I can't remember how long it was, maybe six to eight months or something, it was the most shared uh, throughout all their social media. Oh, nice. It did really well. And that was just, that was so big for me personally. So, you know, and I kind of think back and I was really in two minds about whether I would even bother. And I kind of did it on a bit of a whim. I'll just submit it. Who cares? We'll give it a go. I'm so glad that I did that. And I didn't just post it on my own blog because I had next to no followers. And yeah, that was huge. Very cool. Okay. So you're starting to grow your email list and you're thinking about getting into products. What, sorry if we, we already covered this, but which one kind of came first? Was it the client portal product or the design academy? So they sort of overlapped a little bit. The idea for Design Academy came first. So and that was what I was building my list to do. And I was, you know, I was going to make a design course. So I was doing that. And then Client Portal was something that I had made for myself, but I didn't even think anyone else would be interested in it. And it was only because I was doing this speaking at conferences to try and get myself in front of other people that I even mentioned Client Portal. And when I did, I think after the conference was over, they went around and said, you know, what's your number one takeaway from this conference? And I think more than 50% of people said, Laura's client portal idea, it's genius, where can I get it? Um, so I thought, oh, wow, okay, maybe I need to do something with this instead. And huh. So did you like, did you kind of like pause work on the, on your course idea and, and shift right over to client portal at that point? Yeah, because to be honest, I wasn't doing much with my course. All I was doing with that was I was building the audience. So there wasn't really much to pause, to be honest. I wasn't very good at writing consistently to my email list. What I was good at is I always set up automation. So at least whenever I do write something, it goes into a workflow. So every new subscriber gets every article I've ever written. Um, and quite now it ends, ends up being quite long. But I wasn't overly active in the Design Academy thing because it wasn't making me any money. And to be honest, I wasn't sure whether it ever would and I still had client work so there wasn't much to pause but yeah I did I um I spent a few days because basically what I did was I got an offer from the organizer of the conference who said hey we'll um I'll promote this to my list if you can get it ready by Monday or something 
and I think it was like Thursday or Friday and I was actually in Barcelona traveling staying in a hostel <laughs> did the product even exist at that point it existed on my website it was a html template that's all it was oh, okay so it was like a tool that you were using for yourself at that point exactly i built it and then i mentioned it at the conference with a little screenshot and said you know i used to do something like this with my clients maybe you could do the same and people really liked it um so i had a few days to kind of make documentation package tidy up the HTML a bit and package it up into something that was sellable. And I basically sold it. I did like a rev share thing and but promised that the money that I get from this sale was going to validate whether I the product's any good. And I was going to use that to make it into a WordPress plugin. So I was going to use that money to hire a developer. Okay. So it started as like an HTML template. And, and did you build it, code it, design it like everything or did you outsource parts of it? Um, I outsourced parts of it. So I I designed the original one um, and then I used a company to just make it into HTML and then I just tweaked the CSS of it to make it a bit nicer. And then, yeah, and then I sold it as a HTML template, but with the promise that it was going to become a WordPress plugin. Once I got the money from that initial sale, I think it did like $10,000 or something. Um, I used that money to hire a developer to make it into a WordPress plugin. Awesome. So where did it go from there? I kind of had the big promotion from the conference and and the promotion thereafter where did, where did you take it from there so when i actually made it into a wordpress plugin it went nowhere hmm. the issue that i had was i hadn't built an audience of freelancers and agencies i'd built an audience of developers and some of them were freelancers and could use the product but most of them couldn't they were working in house and they they signed up because they wanted to learn about design not because they wanted freelance tools so i then had the issue of having to figure out how to sell client portal. And for a while, sales didn't really go too well, to be honest. But I, you know, I was getting really good feedback from customers and I was updating it. And I thought, you know, I want to do something like this. So I started going on podcasts and, you know, doing a few guest posts for the freelancing audience. And I created a five-day email course teaching you about client experience and how to give your clients a really good experience. I put a lot of effort into the email course to make it pretty good. I had free bonuses throughout it. Um, you know, I was basically giving away as much value as I could and sort of sliding in a little bit about client portal there. I had a pretty decent pitch sequence at the end. So whenever I went on a podcast or whenever I did a guest post or if I spoke at a conference, I could send them to this uh, vanity URL, which I think is clientexperiencecourse.com. And then that just redirects to the website with the sign up for the thing. And they go through the course and then it, they get pitched on it there. And that's that's pretty much been my strategy for Client Portal up until now. And, you know, the longer it goes on, the more people who are just finding it and just buying it outright rather than even going through the email course. So it's just kind of, it just seems to sort of be snowballing like not hugely but it it does it does pretty well now yeah very cool i i'm curious have you ever found like the, a viral component to it so an agency is using it to show their clients things and their clients may have it like this thing is powered by client portal so they may have it, a need for it kind of i mean i have a yeah i have a power by client portal link and i have had some people refer it to other clients but generally no because in a lot of cases, the kind of people who are the customers are working for uh, don't actually have a use for it. Right. They're kind of all over the map. Yeah. But what's kind of cool is there there is also a lot of people who aren't my target audience who do have a use for it. So I have things like I have lawyers who have got client portal and I've got furniture shops. I've got travel agents and real estate agents, you know, all these kind of 
people who um, weren't the initial target audience. And to be honest, I, I'm not actually sure where they've come from exactly. So I need to find that out. Um, but I am getting a kind of mix of people. And, you know, like you said, that they could be coming from people who have used it with them. I'm just not sure. Yeah. And I mean, I, I wonder if it's probably just some SEO because anybody who considers their, who calls their, their work client work or client services, I'm sure would, would come across this. Yeah. And I think a lot of people do search for client portals specifically, not because they know yeah. me or anything, but because that's what they would search to. It's named very descriptively. Yeah. Nice. So so then at some point you kind of made the shift to really do the design academy and, and start to really build that out. How did that process go? Yeah. So client portal was a huge help in that because to be honest, I don't know. There was two things that really enabled me to work on a course. So the first thing to mention is a course is a lot of work. And I knew that before I started it, but I didn't really realize how much. It was way more than even I was expecting. And I tend to overestimate things anyway. It's a it's a crazy amount of work. So I don't know if I'd have been able to do it while I was doing client work. Um, I just don't think it would have been possible for me. I didn't want to give up every evening and weekend that I had. So the income from Client Portal was really good for making that happen. So I basically just lived on Client Portal income for a while while I did the design course. Um, but another thing that really helped was I launched pre-orders for it because I knew it was going to be a lot of work. And I had this list and the list was pretty big by the time I did pre-orders. Um, it wasn't huge, but I think it was something like maybe 8,000 something. I can't remember. I got the exact number somewhere, but it was decent sized. And I wanted to actually make sure people would buy it before I put the effort into it. Yeah. I know doing pre-orders once I do it, unless I want to refund everyone, I kind of have to go through with it because I didn't want to refund everyone. Um, but I wanted to do that anyway, just to give me some motivation. So I started telling people, hey, I'm I'm actually going to do this course now. Here's the outline. Here's pretty much what it's going to include. I'm going to open up pre-orders for three days. And I did that. It did really well. I think it did in total just something like 40,000 or something, wow. which really helped, you know, because I was hiring, you know, video editors and, you know, I had the custom courseware developed and everything. So there was money going into it as well and my time. And it took, I think it took three months of full-time work or something yeah. like that. Especially a video course just takes so much time to produce and yeah. and just to plan, like outline it and write the content and everything. Yeah. I did not expect it. <laughs> so with, with the pre-sale, obviously that, that was a, that's a very successful you know, revenue bump and it's a great validation and, and go ahead. Again, that's one of those things that I know we hear from a lot of people who, who go through that sort of process and they see it done by others, but when they try to do it themselves, the pieces don't fall into place. So I'd like to focus on that for a minute there. So you had a, an email list. What was kind of like the lead up to asking for, for pre-sales? Like, did you do any like calls or emails? And, and in terms of like what you were actually pitching on the page, did you have like an initial idea and then change that idea in any way based on feedback? Anything like that? Yeah. So I had, so one of the important things that I did, and I I did this from pretty much the very beginning when I was starting an audience is I asked people, a, a lot of people ask this question, um, but I asked people what they're struggling with in design. Why do they want to learn design? Um, and that kind of thing when they sign up. And basically every single reply that I got to that, I would take and I'd put it into a spreadsheet under a heading. So they'd, they'd obviously be in different categories. Some people wanted to learn design because they wanted to communicate better with designers or something. Some people wanted to launch their own products or whatever the reason was, I'd have these headers. And then I'd paste the exact words that they'd say 
into this spreadsheet. So I have this huge spreadsheet just full of all this all this data. So that really influenced a lot of what I would be, what people wanted, what I'd be selling. And that really helped with the writing of the landing page. So I used a lot of people's actual words, which is another, I didn't invent this. This is another common thing that a lot of people do. Use the exact words people are saying in your copy because it's going to you know, really relate to them. And to be honest, with the pre-orders, I had a pretty good idea that it was going to go well. I did not expect it to go as well as it did, but I thought it would do fairly well because I got a lot of engagement from my emails. Um, so I got a lot of people writing in and replying to me and a lot of people saying, you know, I this is exactly what I've been looking for. Everything you write resonates with me really well. Um, so I had a lot of positive feedback. I even had one person email me. Um, I can't tell if he was really annoyed or just kind of fake annoyed, but he was like, look, could you just release a, something paid because I've been on your list for ages and you keep <laughs> right. sending out content and it's really good. But I'm, to be honest, I'm just tired of waiting, like just release something already. Um, <laughs> and that kind of gave me a really good kick to actually think, oh, wow, okay, people really do want this. So yeah. in terms of like, sometimes if it, if a pre-order campaign doesn't work, I think you can have a pretty good idea just by the amount of engagement you get from your emails um, as to whether this is going to work and whether it's something people want. Yeah, I think, I just think that like you, like asking the questions, even if it's an automated email, like, hey, what are you struggling with? Um, making a, a massive effort to understand what are the actual things that people are struggling with. That It seems so obvious and we hear it all the time, but really not that many people actually do it. I mean, I've had that that same questions email in my drip sequence for all new subscribers. I've had that in place for, I don't know, six or seven years now. And the, the responses yeah. to that are gold, you know, and yeah. I try to read all of them. I, I don't get to all of them anymore. But like some, but over the years, like these responses have been, some people write paragraphs and paragraphs and just talking about what it is that they're struggling with. And like, when you read these things, you can't help but, but want to go write an article that speaks to that person you know, or, or eventually build out a course. And, and that's what leads to these things that really resonate, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I think as well, what I, at the start, one thing that I did, which I'm really glad that I did is when I didn't have a huge list and I'd write these things, people would reply to me and I could reply back. Right. Um, I don't, I can still do that. Sometimes it's a little bit harder now because of the the volume and I have a lot of support stuff as well to do. But I would get into a lot of conversations with people and then people would email me who I'd spoken to beforehand because they'd found something useful that I might, you know, that might be useful for my course or something like that. And what I noticed from that is that I got a lot of I got a lot of really loyal subscribers for doing that, just for having some kind of personal interaction with them. So I know I have I have people where, you know, every time I send out an email, I, I pretty much know I'm going to get a reply from them or, you know, they're these are the first people to to buy. I think I had one person who I hadn't even sent out the email that it was going, the pre-orders was going to be live. And it was so bizarre. I, I set the checkout to be enabled. And I think literally like five minutes later, I got a sale. And I was like, <laughs> how did you even know that I was going to, that is, that's great. I mean, maybe it was just really good timing, but that was just yeah. the, that was the start of the, I knew this, <laughs> this is kind of going to be, someone must have been refreshing the page. Yeah. Refreshing for like 24 hours, you know? Yeah. Which is awesome. So I think, um, having that component of actually talking to people and, you know, even me just saying this to you now, I'm thinking, yeah, I, I need to, I, I actually need to get back into and make more of an effort to talk to these early subscribers because I think having loyal subscribers is really powerful. Absolutely. Very cool. So, I mean, that kind of takes us back up in, into today, right? Um, so 
the course has been around. I guess uh, one final question here, like what have you been doing to drive ongoing sales of, of the course? Yeah, so a lot of the same. So my strategy is very, it's very me involved at the minute. So I, like I say, I just keep putting myself out there. I keep going on podcasts. I keep doing stuff. And just over time, people just seem to find what I'm doing. You know, a lot of people still come from Smashing Magazine, for example, um, and they find me on old conference pages and stuff like that. But what I'm really trying to do now is um, my goal for, you know, the rest of the year is to really try and figure out SEO. Um, so I've, I've never been too good at SEO. And what I really want is I want to get organic traffic onto my website and into my free email courses and kind of do it that way. Because I think that's going to be a little bit more sustainable. I'll still be doing things like podcasts and, you know, conference speaking and all this other stuff. But I think if I can really tackle organic search, I think that's going to be a huge help for me because it's not something that I'm I'm too good at at the minute. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I also think that it being a design course and, and, and a structured, focused, you know, curriculum on how to how to take your non-design skills, whether you're a developer or copywriter or something else, and you, and you need to become a designer. I feel like there aren't that many really solid design courses without going to like, like a university level design school, right? Yeah. And it's also interesting that you're targeting developers because there are a ton of development courses, like how to learn how to code and, and all these different languages and different levels. Like that's a huge eco developers buy courses all the time to maintain their development skills. But there hasn't been like there's been some some people in our communities doing kind of design related courses and ebooks and stuff, but not nearly as many. And and then of course you've got like the business courses, like how to how to start a product or how to how to make money and things like that. But again, like design is like this niche that I, I feel like is underserved. So I think it's really cool that you're that you're tackling it. Yeah. It's it's really fun. It's it's really hard. I can understand why there's not a lot of people doing it because it, it is really hard to teach. Yeah. Especially, you know, I think a lot of developers as well. One of the reasons I, I like targeting developers is because they have really good ideas, first and foremost, for, you know, side projects and stuff. But they also don't get caught up in too many of the trends. They really want something that looks clean, usable. They don't care about winning awards. I'm not trying to teach them how to do any crazy effects or anything. I'm just teaching them how to make something look decent, which is what I always wanted when I was working in the agency. So, um, yeah. yeah, I think I agree with you, but I understand why there's not a lot out there. Yeah, very cool. Well, uh, well, Laura, this is this is great. Really interesting story. Awesome products. Of course, the, the sites and everything looks great, too. So, so yeah, designacademy.io and uh, client portal or client-portal.io. We'll, we'll, of course, get these things linked up in the show notes. Thanks so much for uh, for joining us. Where else can people kind of connect with you? Yeah, so the best place to find me is on Twitter. So it's at Laurium, which is L-A-U-R-I-U-M. Um, it's pretty much the only place I'm really active. Awesome. Well, yeah, thanks a lot, Laura. Yeah, thank you. All right, now before we wrap up, let me ask you, what do you think of this one? Was it good? You learned something? Are there any other topics you'd like to hear me cover on this pod? Well, let me know. No, I mean, really, like, let me know. Hit reply on any of the emails that I sent you. I'll read every single one. I try to reply to everyone. What's that? Oh, you're not on my list yet. Okay, well, head over to my site, productizepodcast.com. You can get on my email newsletter that way. 
I'll send you, you know, new episodes and all the show notes, but I'll also send you my newsletter where I share all sorts of articles and other insights on entrepreneurship, building products, productized services, software, SaaS, and other cool stuff there. So yeah, check that out over at productizepodcast.com. And of course, if you have a minute, I'd really appreciate it if you could head over to iTunes, leave a five-star review, or at least just five stars. You don't even have to leave a review if you don't want to, but that would really go a long way to helping other folks like us find this podcast. So yeah, thanks a lot for tuning in. I'll talk to you on the next one. <laughs>